to home, Mr. Mankowitz, or shall I call you Herman? Please, call me Mank. 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 This is Herman Mankowitz, but we're to call him Mank. Mankowitz. Herman Mankowitz, New York playwright and drama critic turned humble screenwriter, Mr. Hurst. This is a business... Hello, and welcome to Our Slice on Film, a movie podcast talking about movies, new and old, some movie industry news, and while talking about some fun pizza conversation. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Brian, and uh, as always, joined by Michael. Hi, everyone. Hey, Michael, dude, long time no chat. I know, right? We, we've taken a brief hiatus from the pod. Man, life gets in the way, you know? Uh, you got classes. Um, I I got stuff. Nah, it's my you know? fault. It's my fault. <laughs> For all the listeners who don't know, I've been in recovery from surgery. I sliced my hand wide open on mm-hmm. Halloween and... Uh, they repaired it, and now I'm just doing that. But that, on top of everything else of life, I was just like, "Hey, Brian, I'll chat with you in a couple of weeks." So, yeah, and here we yeah. are. Perfect timing because we're right before the holidays. There's not much going on except yeah. thinking about the season. Brian, what are you doing for Christmas this year? Uh, Whatever attempting... uh, holiday you celebrate. Yeah, <laughs> I celebrate Christmas. Thank you, Michael. Um, I'm attempting to go back home to the Chicagoland area. You know, similar to Thanksgiving. We're just playing everything day by day, and uh, that's all we can do. We drove, we drove for Thanksgiving. We're gonna planning on driving again for Christmas, but I feel like everything's changing literally daily. So just gotta wait and see. How about you? Yeah, my plans right now are to fly up to New York. Um, you know, I'm gonna try to be as safe as I can leading up to that. I have not seen my mother since last Christmas in person. She came down here around that time, um, and then the pandemic happened. I was supposed to go and like, yeah. February and then July and then she was supposed to come here in October and you know life happens fast so I'm super excited for that I don't I don't think anything's gonna stop me except maybe an act of God yeah and you and you're spending like a good amount of time in New York right like you're you're like you'll be there like yeah yeah I'll be I'll be up there for about two weeks so I'll come back 2021 coming back home to Memphis ready to do you know (laughs) do it all over again (laughs) to do it all over again um well cool so like like you said it's been a while since we uh talked but like there also hasn't been a whole lot of like movies coming out there's been a lot of industry news and maybe we'll do a podcast about that in a little bit but um we're doing two movies this episode double feature double feature because you know we have been gone for a while and also because it's like why not you know so the first one we're going to talk about is mank Directed by David Fincher, written by Jack Fincher. His father just dropped on Netflix this weekend. Um, and that chronicles basically like the life of Herman Mankiewicz, the one of the screenwriters of Citizen Kane, and up to his moments of actually writing Citizen Kane. And then after Mank, we're going to talk about The Sound of Metal. Um, and that dropped on Amazon Prime this weekend as well. And that is directed by Darius Smarter and written by him as well. He is new to the game, not nearly David Fincher. This is his directorial debut. And also, I think like only a second movie that he's written. Wow. He also he also wrote uh, The Place Beyond the Pines. If you're familiar with that movie with Bradley Cooper, Ryan Gosling, Eva Mendez. I know you are, um, Ryan. And I, 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 th- in it. <laughs> I know and I, I thoroughly enjoyed that movie. Um, and this is his directorial debut with Sound of Metal with Riz Ahmed. Um, and that, that follows a uh, heavy metal drummer who begins to lose his hearing mm-hmm. and how he copes with that, basically. So two dramas and two movies that I think will be my, my, my here again when, when award season rolls around. I think that's definitely definitely something that we'll see, you know, because A, it's a David Fincher movie, Mank. We've got Gary Oldman, who knows his chops. There's some pretty good supporting in there as well. And then, you know, this crazy Sound of Metal story that's like it's got so much heart, so much meaning, um, really the underdog, I would say. And, I, you know, I don't want it to be a first, the first man, the astronaut movie, where it only wins for sound, for Sound of Metal, because <laughs> um, that would be so like right on the nose, right? Yeah. Although it was pretty good. We'll talk about that later. Um, I think there's some good performances in there we we can maybe follow along. Oh, yeah, for sure. I and I really hope they get recognized. And we'll talk about that um, in the second part of this podcast. So let's dive into Mank. Mank. You know, this, this is a um, 
this is kind of like this year's Roma for Netflix. I feel like this is the movie that they're really advertising. They're really pushing for that awards and mix. It's black and white. It's yeah. It's also black and white, and and it's and I think this is going to appeal a lot to the awards voters. I guess the Oscar voters. It's based off a true story. It chronicles one of the most storied and famous and um, screenwriters in the history of film. Um, in the making of arguably the best movie in film and this just this just feels like an awards movie this 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 feels like a movie that's gonna be nominated for like 12 awards and win x amount michael what do you think what was your reaction afterwards man i just i love the whole thing i mean i'm i love the old hollywood studio system i love all the drama that came with that and all the politics and specifically you know they bring in the 1934 what is it? The Senate election over in California yeah, or governor yeah. or something like that. And it was like really yeah. intertwined with the story and stuff, which, you know, I personally didn't know, even though, I, you know, I know Orson Welles, I know Citizen Kane, I know all that kind of stuff. Um, but it, it was just, it was so great. It felt awesome. It felt the vibe of it was very, you know, 1930s, 40s Hollywood. And that it just felt so good to see it. Yeah, it was shot exclusively in black and white. There's no color version of this film. Right, monochrome. Um, yeah, so there's that aspect. The way the movie was cut, edited, um, even some of like the shots. It just, after, I, I, I just watched this and came for the first time earlier this week. And then now watching Mank, you can see the parallels of the two movies and the way it was done. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it, it was it genuinely felt like this is a movie that was trying to take play, you know, like trying to be filmed back in the thirties and forties. And yeah. it was interesting. I would have, I would have really, really loved to have seen this in the theaters. Yeah. Why is for that? that? Reason. Well, before we get to, to the theaters, cause that's a man, that's a Different contemporary tragedy yeah. in its own. Um, yeah. What's your take on citizen Kane, Brian? That is like, oh, right. you know, there's a line in Mank where it's like, you know, there, there's a new age of Hollywood and you're going to be the Shakespeare. And this new age of Hollywood, you know, it's true that, you know, pr prophecy came true. And Citizen Kane really ushered in this new, although, you know, Orson Welles wasn't a, a Hollywood filmmaker at the time, that really ushered in this brand new idea of, you know, how much authorship goes into a movie, I'd say. It's not, this is less of a studio film than probably what they saw at the time. Yeah. I, uh, so I never, I've never studied film. I don't know film theory. I know nothing um technically about that i'm just a man who enjoys movies and i know what that's I like. why we're, that's why we got yeah. you brian that's why yeah. you're here um and so i knew going into citizen kane that it was widely regarded as being one of the best movies ever made and it is something that is i think is studied like in film classes and film theory and all, all that good stuff so i'm going into this movie thinking all right i'm gonna get my socks uh knocked off and i watched it on thursday night so bad move on my part because I was definitely tired. What's wrong with Thursday? Oh, just because you were tired? I was just pooped. The movie didn't end until like 1030. And I'm like, oh, man, I should have been in bed an hour and a half ago. This is a poor mistake on my part. <laughs> um, I, I wasn't crazy about it. Definitely. I, I, I see I'm watching this movie. I'm like, all right, I can see what's going on. And then the ending, the actual the actual ending, like literally the last second of the movie, it all clicked. And I was like, oh, OK, cool. It's like I need to rewatch this movie again now. And I feel like I have a better understanding and appreciation of everything that went into it. And then I listened and read some things about Citizen Kane and which gave me even more appreciation for it. It makes me even again want to watch it again, hearing what I know now about Orson Welles and what his upbringing and his influence in this watching Mank reading what I know about the development of this movie. Yeah. You really got into it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause I'm like, I watched it and I'm like, all right, sick. Like whatever. And then I'm reading that I'm reading stuff and I'm listening. And I'm like, all right, I, I can see that now. I can see that now I need to rewatch it again. So I, I'm happy. I watched it, knocking it off the bucket list. Wasn't crazy about it, but I know I need to watch it again. It's okay to like not want to watch it and still think it's important. I don't want to watch this yeah. again again. I fell asleep <laughs> the first time in class when I watched it. So it's like, <laughs> nah, not really my cup of tea. I can get it. And like, I'm a fan of Orson Welles for all of his War of the World shit and him just like breaking boundaries and stuff. Yeah. Um, but I mean, an, you know, here's a new author, right? David Fincher. I know, Brian, you are a huge David Fincher fan. This is his sure. movie. Mm -hmm. What do you mean? Sure. I feel like, are you or aren't you? Is that, that's one of your, uh, more so in the past about. couple of years. Like I, I, I was introduced to seven a couple of years ago. I watched fight club before that. You watched then, seven, Brian. 
Yeah. What do you mean? Oh, it's, I mean, it's technically a horror movie. I know. Well, yeah, 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 but it's got a crime aspect and like right, right. all the horror happens. You see like the, the results of it, not the actual action of it all. So Fair. I really appreciate that. And then social network, love social network. And is that the Gone extent? Girl was his last one. Oh, and Gone Girl. I really enjoyed Gone Girl. Yeah. So I enjoy his stuff, you know? Yeah. 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 Kimberly's trying really hard to get me to watch Panic Room and so we need. I need to. I need to watch that eventually. I guess she's really keen on me watching that. Do it. Round out your Fincher filmography. But yeah. So I know, right? So uh, I saw that he was attached to this movie, and I'm like, why? Um, because this doesn't seem like a Fincher film. This is. He's doing this biography on the screenwriter of Citizen Kane. This does not scream um, David Fincher at all. Like this isn't perverse. This isn't dark. This isn't creepy. And. I still felt that way leaving the movie. Like it's still, it's, it's incredibly well done. Like every day of Fincher movie, like done. But like, I'm thinking to myself, why, why? I learned, you know, I found, then I realized his father wrote the script. I think his father was a really, really big Citizen Kane um, slash like Mank fan. And then his father passed away, I think in the early 2000s. And then, which I think was an originally, this movie was supposed to get made. And then this has just eventually become more and more of a passion project for him for those reasons. And I think you can kind of see that passion, right? Like, I think you can tell how much he cared about this movie, partly because of his father. And I think there's some themes that are thrown into that movie because of that. And, and it's interesting. What, 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 I guess, what are your thoughts? I mean, I, I wasn't, I mean, I don't look at movies looking for like their style and stuff. I, I do know David Fincher has now got a four-year contract with Netflix. It's an oh, exclusive yeah. contract that he actually signed after Mank came out. Um, yeah. So I was reading um, an article that he was in and he was like, well, either I got to beg for forgiveness or they're going to let me do whatever I want next. So that's that's kind of exciting. And and I'm a Mindhunter fan, you know, although oh, big got, fan got canceled. Yeah, you know, yeah. we, we watched House of Cards even through all the Kevin Spacey scandals yeah, and stuff. He directed the first two episodes. He was a showrunner and stuff. It's like he's yeah, and Fight Club, man, Fight Club Seven, all that kind of stuff. It's like classics. He makes classics, and I don't know if Mank will be a classic, but that doesn't mean it won't win an Academy Award. I think Gary Oldman might have this in the bag. We'll see. What? He's up against Pete Davidson still. No, he's yeah, <laughs> yep. Oh, it's him and Duke Davidson, the final two for best actor. Case closed. Staten Island full versus stop. Hollywood. Let's see who comes out. Full stop. Full stop. No, um, I think I think you know best original screenplay or no, or best, uh, best screenplay. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm assuming it's original. It would be a posthumous um, screenplay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Best best director, best lead, best best lead actor, best supporting actress, and Amanda Seyfried. Uh, best costume, production name, design, production design. Um, best cinematography. I mean, you can literally go down the list and it can get nominated for legitimately 12 different things. Um, now, I, don't I haven't know- done a full matchup yet. I haven't actually looked at the 2020 releases to actually make this decision. I have a feeling you and I will be doing a best of 2020 podcast or line list somewhere. Yeah, I would like that. Um, but then it's it's award season, man. And the, everything's fair game. Everything's yeah. fair game. Are you comparing Mank to everything we've watched this year so far? A little bit. And I think right now, Gary Oldman would be in the lead if we're talking about awards. Um, I wonder because he did win two or three years ago for portraying Winston Churchill. And I think that's very recent. What's the name of that movie? The Darkest Dark. The Darkest Hour. Yeah. And to my understanding, there's another movie that will come out um, that's getting a lot of buzz for um, Chadwick Boseman. Mm. And and if he gets um, if he gets put into the lead actor category i think there's a lot of understanding that he very well may win for his performance in ma rainey's black bottom but i think do you think he'll i'm thinking he'll he might even get nominated for supporting for the five buds yeah we'll see we'll see we'll see but but apparently apparently his performance in black bottom is just like out of this world and then also obviously with his recent passing um it might just be um the cherry on top do you know when we get to see black bottom uh, I don't know when it really gets released exactly. I think in the next month. It's, it's also a Netflix film. Like Netflix is... Uh, they're Netflix, killing it. Yeah, they're going to kill it. But no, back to Mank. Mank. Um, yeah, it was really well done, really well shot. I enjoyed it more than Citizen Kane after my first watch. Again, similarly, I want to watch rewatch Mank again. 
I, I think you're higher on it than I am. And that, that for me, it's just pure entertainment standard. Like just like, okay, it was a movie with good performances. I, it wasn't also what I expected mm-hmm. either. I thought it'd be more about the creative process of Mank. I mean, of uh, Citizen Kane, but it really, like really the scenes and stuff. Yeah, but it was really, really more just about her Herman Mankiewicz, uh, yeah. Mank. You know, which obviously makes sense. It's like the story about how working from home can be so dangerous. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, what was your what was your what was your what was your thoughts of me? Like, what did you think about after watching it, during watching it, all the things? You know, I mean, I'm not going to go fall back into my genre or anything, but you know, this time period it was prolific for sci-fi and horror, and it really kind of came out. And there's a whole slew of references to like productions at the time that no one really, you can see that the studios made them their B pictures. They didn't really care about. So, and I know, you know, hearing RKO in there and International's name getting thrown out and like all these high executives and stuff that like, when I read stories and biographies from the time, it's these names pop out. And I, I really enjoyed that kind of personification of these big names, including yeah. Willie Hurst, who yeah. my only other person, like my only embodiment of that is from the Newsies. Okay. Um, the Chris, a, a, the Christian Bale movie. Um, you know, he's in that and stuff and I can't name it, I, but he's very often portrayed as like this evil guy, um, especially, you know, in New York and stuff. It, it was, it was just so, such good horse historical stuff. I don't know if I cared as much about the citizen, citizen Kane story, but mm-hmm. I really loved seeing the ecosystem that was the studio system at the time and how, not that it was so close to collapsing, but it was fraught with just this crazy kind of, you know, really bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the cockiness, and and even the 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 economic conversations that were going on with the election that's going up and stuff. I mean, you know, and then you throw Orson Welles into there, who he's not really he's set off in this movie, off in the distance, somewhere else, working on the Heart of Darkness um, mm-hmm. takes or whatever he's doing. Um, you know, he's not like in the picture and stuff. And when he does no. come in, it's he's part a hero, part supportive, but he's also just like another crazy evil figure. Yeah, part yeah, of this yeah. that Hollywood kind of created. Yeah, no, definitely. Is it is it William Hurst like kind of like um, the inspiration for Citizen Kane? Is that did I re- that, is that is that is that accurate? Dude, that was the point of the movie. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay. Just great. Sure, just making sure. Just making sure. We watched right, the yeah. same movie. <laughs> yeah. No. You. You. You talked about William Hurst. So I thought you were going to lead us there, and then like, and then I'm like, all right, cool. I'll. I'll. I'll I want to make sure I ask. So we're on the same page here. Oh. Oh. Yeah. 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 Yes, one hundred percent. And yeah. you know, and I think that this the back the movie's a really great background, right? You could read as much as you want about Citizen Kane, but I think this really kind of at least for the script, because I don't think I knew that. I don't think I knew that it was actually a solo project with Orson Welles getting the co-credit, and that's just how Hollywood works. Yeah. Right. That's um I wasn't aware of that. And that was it's such a unique just I mean, that's the end of the movie, sorry, but like that's just such a unique historical part of Hollywood. And mm-hmm. as someone who loves movies, I mean, I think it can be arguably said that this, the backstage stories and the behind the scenes and the, the creation of them is equally as important as and entertaining. And like, I don't know, as the actual film itself. That's just my stance. Yeah, I feel like David Fincher was pretty critical of the movie industry business and, and of, of old Hollywood. There were some there were some lines in there that didn't really paint old Hollywood um in the most positive manner, right? And how and how political it can it can, it can be, and the process of the, the processes of it all, yeah, and so on and so forth. And I th- I found that very interesting, and especially with David Fincher, you just mentioned signing a Netflix deal. He's getting away from maybe these big big studios and going more towards you know Netflix doing Mindhunt, Game of Thrones, Mindhunter, signing this four year deal, so he can have that authorship, that complete autonomy not too dissimilar from an Orson Welles type type of person for Citizen Kane, you know? Yeah. It's, you know, and that's, I mean, Orson Welles artist for sure. Um, But, you know, even about how the imperfection of Hollywood and stuff, I mean, the next decade after this movie is McCarthyism and the red scare. So Hmm. as you know, everyone's afraid that communists are in our backyard in America, there's literally the blacklist in Hollywood that has really, that really made a huge dent in any artistic value that came you know, post Citizen Kane with that kind of yeah. kind of stuff coming on. So I think I think you're right, David Fincher. This is I know we both read the IMDb trivia. This is his first movie about filmmaking. And I yeah. think it's always an interesting take when you see a filmmaker comment on, you know, their 
their industry and stuff. It, it's got to be honest. It's got to be open. And he got away with it because he threw a lot of current day issues on post Hollywood. I feel like there was a lot of mirroring from kind of what we what we might see going on now. Oh yeah, for sure. There's some parallels between what 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 was going on then, according to David Fincher, and what's going on now. And yeah, I just find I find it interesting his desire to. I don't think he thinks of himself as Orson Welles, right? I don't think he. Oh, I don't no, think he. No. But but he does. He's someone that, from what I've read, is very intentional about the process like he will do the same scene over again like a hundred different times in order to get that right take he has a vision he knows what he wants and he wants to do it and then for netflix to offer them this deal like hey david fincher you do you um it's not too dissimilar from back in the day when they uh the producers of citizen kane gave orson wells like hey you can write direct produce star this movie and i think it's i think it's kind of interesting yeah, some a little bit more history for Hollywood and stuff. Back at this time when we talk A and B pictures and stuff, that's because a lot of these studios buy the whole block out. They buy mm-hmm. a whole theater kind of showing and stuff. And today's 2020 issues, um, Warner Brothers just announced that their entire 2021 slate will be available on demand on HBO Max at the same time in theaters and stuff. And for me, I, that's that's blockbusting. It's the same thing. It's hey, you know, you sign up for us and you pay just Warner Brothers, we'll give you the whole day's entertainment as you go. And, you know, this idea really crept in and that's where, you know, the Writers Guild kind of came in, the formulation of that in the movies and stuff. There's a lot more change happening now and especially post-50s too. So, you know, it all really just blends together and we're following, I feel like we're following the same problems as these studios just have so much power. I know, I know. And it's it's, it's kind of- And we're paying them to do it. I know, I know. And that- all right, that kind of that kind of goes into something that I have for a pizza-related question. So, nice. do you want to do you want do you want to lead into that right now? Yeah, perfect. Okay, so let's go into best sliced or best scene of the movie. Um, so I'll go ahead and kick us off. Um, we talked about David Fincher, the way he does things. He knows how to make a really artistic film. He knows how to make things look good. And I, and this scene stood out to me. It's a scene I think of the Mank brothers with. Um, with Lou, with Louis B. Mayer, right? I think he's like the head of MGM or something mm-hmm. along those lines. And it's just the, it's the three of them walking down the hallway and the camera is just in front of them, following them as they walk. And then they go out into the lot and they're still, and they're still walking and talking. I don't know. Just to me, that was the conversation they were having about the production of movies and, and was so visually appealing, really caught my attention and I just thought it was, it was, it was also like a one you know? So I, yeah. and I always, I always love those. And I thought that was really executed well. And I love just the three of them in a line walking. It was, it was really well done. I enjoyed that scene. Yeah. Props to David Fincher and his, and his DP. Yeah. 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 So is that, that right that, before he, he um, cuts everyone's salaries? Yeah, it, it might, it might be. I think, I think they, they go in the line and then they cross over into a different studio into the auditorium. And you're, you're, I think you're exactly right. And that, Right before he cuts the salaries, and right after, and right right during they get into the lot, also is my favorite topic, my favorite quote. So once we get there, it leads oh, right into that. So so Michael, what Great. is what is your best slice? My best slice is the the first movie pitch where it's all these big names, Selznick's in the room and stuff like that, and they're going around talking about this robot Frankenstein type of story, and yep. then they're like, Charlie, how does it end? And he's like, and there's a priest weeping. And then they go into like, <laughs> it's a sequel. Like there's these sequel. <laughs> and as soon as the guy, I guess it was Mayer maybe, or whoever it was. No, because it was David O that they sat, sat in with. He turned to his guy and he's like, that's a B picture. And as yeah. they're describing it, I'm like, this sounds a lot like, I think I know this movie. Like this sounds a lot familiar of those, of those B movies. <laughs> and it's crazy because I wasn't overly sure. Did they just improvise in the room kind of ripping off of each other? And then that's how that B picture may have been made. Or was it like, did they have that kind of rehearsed? No, I think they kind of had it. I think they kind of had it rehearsed. I think okay. they were all developed. I think they were all like collaboratively writing and putting together, storyboarding something. Yeah, I, I like that because that shows such the the almost the creative process at the time. Because there's this is the golden age of Hollywood. These studios are bumping out movie after movie after movie, and actresses make, can make like twenty five movies within ten years. Yeah, and there's these stars and stuff, and to know that maybe some of those movies just literally four guys with cigars like jerking around in an office and then this yeah this, this sci-fi b movie gets made that maybe yeah. i'll own the dvd of in 2020 i just love that whole kind of flow how that gets here i i enjoyed that too and i think there was a quote around there that it was like 
writing. It's not, a, this isn't a relay. Um, we write all at once. It's easier to put the blame. Uh, mm-hmm. It's easier. It's, 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 you know, it's easier to put the blame around or whatever, somewhere on those lines. And yeah. I, I thought that was kind of funny and talked about the making these sci-fi movies and talked about like, this guy was like gangster flicks and zanies. It's all the movie studios want, you know, they want those kind of stories. And that reminded me of nowadays, like superhero movies and big blockbusters and franchises, you know, like it's harder and harder to make movies like a mink nowadays. Mm-hmm. I feel like, um, and David and, but, did it. I know. Well, I think credit to like Netflix, these streaming services are where that's where it's, you're able to tell these different stories, you know, these personal stories, these lower budget movies, well, like studios, you know, they they need to get butts and seats in these theaters and the way to do that is blockbusters you know yeah yeah and so. i'm and i'm wondering you know if, if, did netflix buy the script or was it made and then netflix just released it like was this a sundance film no right this is a netflix i think this is a netflix project original mm. yeah yeah which is yeah great you know and cool. the black and white really worked in a lot of this i especially yeah. with that comment you know it's the the gangster noir movies and stuff you know, maybe we should look at all of David Fincher's movies and make them black and white because this one, you know, his style really kind of resonated with me with, with oh, the yeah. smoke and the, the silhouettes and stuff. Yeah, well, all, all of his other movies are so creepy with the exception of like Benjamin Button, but like, you know, we didn't even mention Zodiac earlier, which is also a really good movie. Like right. you look at like Zodiac, Fight Club, Seven, especially like Zodiac and, and Seven, like those movies can easily be black and white and it would just even add to the, to the, to the, to the bleakness of those subject matters. Um, but cool. All right. Anyway, great. Um, favorite topping, favorite topping. Um, my favorite topping is my favorite. My favorite quote is I think it's, this is after that one they're in the lot and mayor, the, the, the lead of MGM. He's like, this is a business where the buyer for their money gets nothing but a memory. What he bought still belongs to the man who sold it. That's the real magic of the movies. And I just thought that was incredibly, when you want to talk about how the movie's not really, not really that dark or bleak, that's incredibly bleak. And it kind of depressed me. And I never thought of it that way. And it really opened my eyes and upset me. But, um, and it kind of made me hate, um, like, it made me hate him. It made me hate yeah. that character and, and what he means for the movie industry. And, but I thought it was, really well delivered and and it was after that scene that i said that really caught my attention and then it was kind of like an exclamation point to it all and i thought it was really really effective yeah and you know again kudos to netflix for telling these crazy stories because netflix made a movie saying that you know especially that line think about mank on netflix that's mank is not on dvd right now if you were to cancel your subscription you have only the memory of mank yeah and that's why i'm a big proponent of physical media I love buying DVDs. I love Blu-rays, special edition box sets, all that kind of stuff, not just for the backstage stuff. But if I don't want to pay Disney Plus anymore, I don't want to not be able to watch Mulan again. I want to be able to just be in my closet like the old VHS days. Yeah. So like ballsy for Netflix to be like, ha ha, we wrote this script or we got this script that says we're keeping your memories and that's what we're doing now. Yeah, it's it's really really interesting. And I look at my DVD collection now and you know, it, it gets, it's, it's not a lot because I feel like I have access to anything mm-hmm. I want, but here I am, I Google my, Oh, where can I stream for free? That's not, that's not mine. You know, it's, I'm, it's, it's so accurate. It's so depressing. I never thought of it that way. And, um, it makes me want to like buy DVDs, but even though like I own crazy, stupid love and I only watch it when it's streaming, you know? So like, I don't, the physical effort of like putting the DVD out of its case, even then I'm like too much of a lazy ass to do it. I also think that your collection of DVDs and movies that you own says just so much about your identity. Especially, you know, I own a lot. Like if a movie's five bucks and I'm like, hey, this movie's $5, I might've seen it or might be interested in it, I'll purchase it. But for everyone else who's like, they like the movie enough to either have it passed down maybe from someone else or even from your childhood, especially DVDs and stuff. They last yeah. much longer than VHS tapes and stuff. Sure. So just that says so much of like, yeah, you know, Brian Deal just got married. He still got Bambi on his shelf. That means that that movie meant something to him and stuff. And now yeah. it's just, yeah, I'm a Netflix subscriber. Yeah, I have $12.99 a month. It's it's so, uh, it's the world we live in, Brian. Big yeah. deal. I don't so, know what to tell you. So 
That's mine. How about you, Michael? What's your what's Great. your favorite topic? That one was up there, so I'm not gonna. That'll be my number two from now on. But cool. I like, especially in connection with Citizen Kane, you can't tell the story of a man's life in two hours. You can only hope to leave the impression of it. Yeah. Boom. That's it. Done. That's. It's just like that. There's a tip for all all, all screenwriters out there, right? Yeah. Just leave the impression. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and that leads into and I'm, this is why I'm happy I watched Citizen Kane because Mank and Citizen Kane were both shot very similar in this regard. How it jumps back and forth, mm-hmm. um, the different periods of time in the, in the, these respective men's lives, and and I feel like that's that's not a bad way to convey someone's life, you know, to into to to jump back and forth a little bit, and and yeah, it's really effective. And Jack I Fincher it. was able to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. way to go, Fincher. Way Fincher to go, family. Fincher. Yeah, that's a real, no. That's a, that's a good one. It's also like one. That's one of the. That's one of the ones I had. I had down to. Yeah, there's some good ones. Yeah, well, cool. So, Michael, who would you have a slice with? I I had a hard time with this one. Man, why? I don't. I didn't really find anyone overly enjoyable. I guess um, to like actually want to sit down. Like Mank would probably be like a really good time, right? I, I, I think he's yeah. Like, he's the obvious answer. I feel like like. Yo, like let's let's drink a little bit, have a slice of pizza, and just like go out in town and just like party, you know. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than him, not, no one really stood out to me. I don't want to have any pizza with any of the movie producers, and really, uh, that's oh, it was hard. How about yeah. you? I picked David O'Selznick. He's just a random character from the, from the offices and stuff. He's just even if it's the character or if it's the actual historical person, that dude was very influential. And I want to see almost Mank from his point of view. Yeah. Just like, I don't know, just that time period, the movie about, there's so many characters in there that are just so interesting. Yeah. You can like easily really dive into. I have this, this book, it's a biography almost, or like, an, I don't, or maybe it was just like a collection of stories and stuff. And there's this woman who created the costume for Creature from the Black Lagoon around this time. And it's the most, okay. icon, one of the most iconic creature features. And she never got credit for it. And it's like just this random woman that was so influential to specifically the horror genre and the B movie kind of industry. And she was just kind of lost in the ether, you know, of course, because of, you know, the patriarchy and stuff, she was lost to to memory and stuff. But all these people, this is before they had behind the scenes footage, DVD extras. There's so much lost kind of Hollywood history. That's just floating around there. We got to make more movies like this. For sure. I completely agree. I completely agree. Yeah, All right. man. So are we going to rate this movie and move on? We got another one yeah. to get through. Let's do it. Let's rate it. Out of eight slices, right, Brian? Out of eight slices. I know it's been a minute. Let's re- let's do our listeners. All right. So for me, I'm giving it a five out of eight. Nice. Um, Mine's six. And I, I almost wanted to give it a four, but like it's just, it's just not a two. It's just not, it's not, a, it's not a four out of eight movie. I think five. It's really well done. Obviously, it's going to get nominated for a lot of awards. It very well may, may win a lot of awards. Just for me, entertainment level wasn't that entertaining it was hard for me to get through and yeah but i think it's worth a watch especially if you enjoy movie like the act of like making movies i think that's cool yeah yeah i was gonna go with five originally and then i remembered that they had the the dark spots in the corner when it was real change in the movie they added those in and i also really liked the the titles coming up of like exterior manx apartment or something like that that came up during the flashbacks and stuff that pushed it to a six I just okay. love, I love those little tiny stylistic choices that are like almost subliminal. Like, you know, they'll happen once you get through the first title of the flashback sequence, you kind of forget about it. But every time I see it, it says 1940s flashback, I think that's so such a unique little thing he didn't have to do. Yeah. That's why it's a six. Fincher knew right. the details. Cool. All right. Sweet. So six out of eight for Michael and a five out of eight for me. That's Mank. Check it out on Netflix. All right. So our second movie that we want to jump into talk is... about impressions of a man's life in two hours. Yeah. Talk about that. Cause the sound of metal is so much going on, Brian. Now this was your recommendation, Brian, you actually check up on trailers a lot better yeah. than I do, especially with yeah. new releases and stuff. Listeners, Brian is probably the podcast scheduler. I think he usually comes in with the movies that we should watch. And I'm always like, yeah, that looks perfect. Cause he has the <laughs> best pick. I don't know what Instagram account you're following and stuff. But Sound of Metal was definitely your pick this week. You brought it to me. Um, yeah. How did we get here? Because I'm so glad. I'm so happy about it. I saw the trailer for it a couple months ago. And 
I'm like, oh, cool. Riz Ahmed's playing a drummer. Sick. Let's check it out. And it's so much more than that. It's this metal drummer who over time or in the movie kind of quickly loses, yeah. loses his hearing. And, and I'm like, this is really fascinating. It looks emotional. It looks entertaining. It looks like a character development piece, which is all the things that I like. And then I saw it was from the writer from place beyond the pines. And I'm like, all right, cool. I'm like, I'm incredibly intrigued. And, and then I saw it was postponed because of COVID and, now here we are. It's streaming for free on Prime. I'm like, we have no excuses. It's very accessible. We both have Prime. Let's check this movie out. And it's, I'm happy. It sounds like you enjoyed it. Yeah, it was definitely a shocker. Definitely surprising. Um, because the trailer made it seem, just like you mentioned, that this would be the journey of a man losing his hearing, which mm-hmm. it is. But yeah. it happens within the first 15 minutes. He's, his hearing yeah. is shot yeah. literally all at once, Yeah, um, which is quick because then i was like wow there's still what's going to happen what, an hour and 45 an hour and 30 minutes left of this movie um yeah. and it took so many it took such a way on the story that i was not anticipating at all i know i and it was i really i really enjoyed it and it's it's kind of similar to place beyond the pines place beyond the pines have like three has three very distinct acts this isn't as distinct but the story to me it's still three acts like him losing his hearing him coping with his hearing loss and then the final act um, of him leaving the deaf community that he was a part of, which is in the trailer and not really spoiling anything. And it was, it was fascinating. I think this will get some awards buzz. I hope it does. I think Riz Ahmed, hopefully for best, for best actor, um, Olivia cook, who I know player one, ready player one. Yeah. 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 Um, I thought she, as supporting actress, I thought she was really, really good. Man, so I weird. I don't know if she'll get any love, but like, oh man, she was really good. And then like it, it, nomination for best, you know, for sound and yeah. maybe, maybe that'll be it. But like, let's, let's uh. talk about the sound because I think it's so definitely important for the audience to, to hear through Riz Ahmed's ears, Riz Ahmed as Ruben. Yeah. Um, and the, Oh man, a spoiler alert at the end when he has those implants, the cochlear implants, right? Mm-hmm. That kind of sound, like you can really even see it on top of his face. I think, I don't know how he, that's the, where the talent is. Let me, let me circle back to Riz Ahmed. That's where the talent is because the noises that he's hearing in the finale and stuff, he's not hearing actually mm-hmm. as an actor. Um, yeah. So I don't know, did they record those sounds and then overlay it as he's acting or did he like, just bring that out of nowhere of these faces of imagining what it would sound like to him now. Heartbreaking. That's, that's where he, that's where his nominations come in. I mean, just the way he was able to sell being deaf to me. And again, I'm not deaf. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what that experience is like. Um, To my understanding, this, the the cast and crew were the, the casting was incredibly intentional on having like, um, deaf staff and deaf employees advising the film. And there were a lot of deaf actors in this film. So I hope it's authentic to me. Like you said, your word heartbreaking. It's exactly that. I felt the fear. I felt um, the grief of him losing his hearing and how much hearing means to him. And it was emotional. He was, he portrayed it so, so well mm. and it really resonates with me and I, i've never thought of we take it for granted it's something you and you know you and i are are both able to hear and for as long as we can remember literally mm. and we don't even think twice about it and in the moment this guy who's a drummer who relies on hearing it's gone he's not able to do the thing he loves most in this life he's not able to communicate with the love of his life and his life just takes a complete 180 and how he copes with it is so fascinating yeah. And I mean, added in, I mean, you know, Riz Ahmed, I'm reading, learned drums and sign language for the movie, which is just an yeah. incredible talent. Um, yeah. But also, I mean, it seems like Ruben used heavy metal with his girlfriend to get away from their vices and their self-destructive yeah. habits. Yeah. So we know Ruben is a recovering heroin addict and he's going mm-hmm. through that kind of stuff. We know Olivia Cook's character, Lulu, is um, recovering from self-harm and stuff like that. And it really looked like they came together and music, music for as it is for a lot of people, is a way of 
coping with everything else in the way of communicating and getting yeah. out your frustrations. And man, him smashing shit because he can't hear because that's his crutch. And immediately he goes to get a cigarette and that's that's Lulu's big red flag for him, right? Man, yeah. that's like crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine. Yeah, it was it was really well done. I the first two acts, the um, and again, like kind of going into spoilers here, like you like you mentioned, the first 20 minutes, he loses his hearing. Like just done. So the first 30, 40 minutes of him losing his hearing, I thought were really great establishes the characters establishes the scene their lifestyle and then it happens and then the second act of him um going into the into the, the to the residence the community the the the, the rehab well, i don't know what you want to call it call exactly it you but want. yeah um this community for deaf individuals he gets admitted there and that whole process effing love it i loved everything about it i thought it was so i thought it was really interesting well done and it's it eye-opening yeah. And then the third act of him leaving because he takes it upon himself to get surgery for cochlear imp- implants. Um, that's where it kind of tailed off for me a little bit. I was really digging the direction it was going in the first two acts. And then the mm-hmm. third act slowed down a little bit or went in a direction that I didn't like as much as the first two. But then the actual ending itself, I enjoyed it picked it back up for me a little bit. Yeah, there was, it was a second drop in the roller coaster. Yeah, is you know oh. him him admitting himself was like all right now we're going into the thrills of the movie yeah and then it's it's not over they go they throw you through another loop and like he still can't shake his girlfriend and I know. You know the woman who saved her, him and stuff and he wanted maybe he wanted to share his success of becoming you know of growing and stuff with the situation with her and maybe that's what it took I don't know yeah I don't know but, he he gets those implants which I you know. Insurance does not cover this expense that costs anywhere between forty to eighty thousand dollars that's revealed in the movie. So incredibly expensive. He sells basically everything he owns to make it a reality. He leaves the community, gets this surgery, puts in the implants, and one of the more heartbroken th- heartbreaking things in the movie is that it does not meet his expectation. Um, I don't know if he, I don't know if he just didn't ask the right questions, if he wasn't properly informed, but he puts in those implants and he doesn't take him long to realize that he will never hear the way he used to before again. Um, and perhaps and, going through with the surgery was the wrong choice. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I, I think so. Um, and I think he, and I think he thinks that too. And again, he sells it. You can see the regret on his face. The same fear that he had in the beginning of the movie is back with him. Now he's back at square one, but in a different way. And Again, Riz, the way he was able to convey that with his nonverbals was really impressive. Yeah. And, you know, just that whole second act that that you're identifying is that's where the Oscars are, is in that middle. Because that montage sequence, if you want to call it that, because, quote unquote, there's no dialogue, although there is. um, You know, that it it was so it was beautiful. It was a nice little journey. I love seeing stuff like that. Um, That would have been so short, though. Exactly. Without yeah. without Lulu coming back into the picture after his rehabilitation, you know, it, picture, the picture would have been so short. And I, I would have, I wanted them to get back together. I wanted, like, I they're, they're, I expected the movie to go in that direction. Well, I guess what I thought, but I, I would have thought that he would have just accepted being deaf and he would not have gotten the surgery and he would have lived a life just being deaf. Mm-hmm. Um, without the implants, not that he's he will continue to be deaf with and without the implants, and maybe not even working on the community like like he wanted him. Yeah, like, yeah, that didn't have to be part of the ending. No, but he, him getting the implants and not meeting his expectation was just devastating, just absolutely devastating. And then, which then leads to the ending of him um, popping him hearing. Off. Yeah, he hears everything. He's able to hear everything at such a high frequency, and I think to the point where it's just overstimulating for him. And he takes him off, and he hears blank, just straight nothing. Which is a new, which is a new. I, I say noise, but like lack of noise in the film. Like we, for when he was being introduced as deaf, you at least heard something. There was some muffled. There were some muffled noises, or there was some some frequencies that you heard. The ending is completely still. Yeah, and and he wasn't scared though. It seemed like to me that that was finally him accepting it. Was that your impression? 
Like, do you feel like this ended on a high note? I no. I think the movie really ended with Ruben going through all that trouble and it not being enough for him. And like yeah. that sucks. That's a that's a shitty journey. Of course, we know he learned through it, but that ending to me calls back to the kingdom of God quote, which I'm gonna just quickly throw in because you brought it up. Fast forward, that's my favorite quote. Is there's that moment of stillness that yeah. that's where it is. That's the place. That's the kingdom of God and stuff. And Ruben going into this rehab center, this community saying, I'm not religious, we're not religious, and no offense and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You no, know, you don't you don't have to be. Riz didn't come out religious. Ruben didn't come out religious, I should say. Um, but he knows that like that stillness that he was trying to escape from, that's that's his kingdom, right? Whatever God yeah. is his, whatever spiritualism he has or whatever calmness he needs, that's his kingdom. And, and he was running away from it. So, so what happens after the credits, I think is his redemption afterwards, but it ends on a low note for me. Does he go back to Lou or does he go back to the community or neither? I don't know how he gets anywhere. He sold his, <laughs> he sold his RV. He sold everything. He sold everything. <laughs> it's all yeah. gone. Um, I don't think he goes back to Lou. I think Lou was part of his like his understanding. Even yeah. you know maybe it was music that brought the two of them together, and music saved the both of them. Yeah, but he he lied when he said she sounded great when she was singing with her dad. He was like, "Hey, you sounded great and stuff." We know it didn't like. He yeah. was really struggling with with kind of understanding what he was listening yeah. to and stuff. So yeah, he looked at her and he was like, "You saved me. I saved you. Music saved us. I don't have that anymore." Like that's yeah. not, it's not my identity. I can't use that as a crux anymore. You can't like, there's no place for you almost. And that's so sad. That's how I think. Yeah. He ended. Okay. What yeah. about you? I'm projecting a lot. I'm projecting a lot. What do you think? That's fine. Um, I, I, I like to think he's heading in a positive direction. Yeah. Um, I think he hears nothing. And I think that was a crystallizing moment. He chose that. He chose that. He chose to, it was to an hear active nothing. Choice, yeah. And and then I a part of me I, I would like to think he goes back to the community that he made a mistake and he is going to be there because I think that's where he's most happy and that and that's where one of my one of my Pizzolea questions goes into I think I think that's where he'll have his most fulfillment fulfillment moving forward right right man um, I mean that would be nice I also where is this set. Did we get locations on any of this? Missouri. He was, at they, were one in Missouri point. they were in Missouri for a show. I have no idea where this is at. Um, which I'm I'm okay with that. I'm okay with it. We could just um, say it's New York. Yeah, okay, sure, whatever. Uh, it might be because I know they had traveled a long way to get there. So mm. maybe. Anyway. Um so I guess with that being said, do you want to go on some pizza related questions? Yeah, I already gave out my favorite quote. I think it, it really okay. enra- it encapsulated um Ruben's story and stuff. So what's your what's your this is the best topping? Yeah, this is the favorite topic. Favorite you, topic. you son of a gun. <laughs> Sorry, um, <no>. favorite topic. <laughs> um, so your quote came from um, uh, Joe, right? Mm-hmm. Who's kind of the director of the deaf of this deaf community and with the ponytail, the, the guardian of everybody. Yeah, he was so good. He was really, really good. And I want like I'm like everyone needs a Joe in their life. Oh um, yeah. Um, and my quote also comes from Joe because he's a man. Is is it really a quote? Um, just a moment, which I guess can arguably be my best slice, but I'm using it for favorite topping. Bring it. And it's when he had his surgery and he comes back to Joe and they sit down at the table and, and Ruben Riz Ahmed is asking him for money. Hmm. And he, and he's, he is desperate. He's desperate for it. And he comes off as being very desperate and low and Joe very bluntly just says, you look and sound like an addict right now. Hmm. And uh, just again, just a right hook to the, I mean, just a jab yeah. to the gut, man. I mean, that hit me hard. This is someone who it's been established. He's been sober for four years and I think he's proud of it. And then he hasn't used, but him saying that was so eye opening. And, and, and it was exactly what I think he needed to hear a little bit. And it also just re I think it just re reillustrates just like how big of a mistake that surgery was because he was going in such a positive direction in his life with this community and with people that were similar to himself. And then he makes that decision instantly regrettable. He's back at his, his low point 
and it was just really sad. And that's the kind of stuff that I, feelings resonate with me. And that was a really good moment. And I enjoyed that. Now, did all of this happen after he found out that Lulu did a solo something or other? And he was like, man, I got to get her back. Oh, it's a good point. Yes. I think that yeah. was a big turning point for his character. And I think that I didn't even put that together. Because I feel like right after that is when he started selling all of his stuff with um, his his buddy that he met there that he tattooed. Did you see that? Yeah, I love it. that was drawing a picture of the naked girl, and they're like, yeah. I, need, "I want more hair down there." Well, that not too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, look, that guy look a little natural. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, no, you're you're right, and that goes back to his rule, right? To to Joe's rule, like no outside world, right? Yeah. And but like but but Ruben was sneaking off trying to communicate with Lou. Into Joe's like Joe's just right. Joe's just like because he's been there. He's got that experience. He knows what works and what doesn't work. And uh, yeah, it was just heartbreak. That was heartbreak. And what really also sells that is the heartbreak not only of Ruben, but of Joe. You can just tell yeah. how 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 distraught and how sad Joe was to do, to tell Ruben to go away to after leave. he offered him a job. You don't belong in this community anymore. This is a community with a foundation of trust and the belief that being deaf isn't a handicap. It's not to fix. Exactly. And I thought that was all very powerful. And that can also be included in my favorite time. Just that whole moment right there was really good. That is and really good, yeah. Joe, Joe, um, I want to give the actor who played him some props. Paul, Paul Racky, Paul Rachi. Um, he was really good. Yeah. And then Ruben leaves and he cries. I know, I know. He clutches his heart and he goes... <laughs> I know. Um, all right, so that was our favorite. To- that was our favorite topping. What is your best slice? All right, my best slice is um, the metal slide scene where that's Ruben's first turn with the the deaf school kids, and he asked to leave the room from the hip hop dance that they were watching or something yeah. like that, um, which is a great moment because it's beats and Ruben's you know a drummer and stuff. And he takes the other trouble kid. And you know Ruben was a trouble kid. We, we can tell he was probably a trouble kid his whole life. And he brings the other one. They connect through the new noise that they can hear. The new beats and the new music and stuff. And it's a, it's a really unique moment of him saying like this. For me, it, it seemed like this deafness fell on Ruben. But these kids were born with it. That's the perception that I got and stuff. So that was yeah. that's an eye opener for his character. And I just mm-hmm. I really, really enjoyed that because... This movie does a great job of especially their cutscenes and like their little landscapes of the winds blowing and the leaves and stuff. Again, sound editing, sound mixing and stuff for those natural sounds that we take for granted to then like be silenced out. And all you can hear is just as an audience, the vibrations that these two characters can hear. That was very, very artfully done. And I, I enjoyed that. That was my best slice. It's a good slice. It's a really good. Thanks. Slice. Um, I might have it again. It's hard to compete with that. Um, I might have it again. <laughs> um, all right. For me is when, um, not when he first lost his hearing, it's like him at the gift shop before the concert venue or whatever, but like it was him um, in his like Airstream, in his in his van, whatever, going through his morning routine that was established earlier in the movie, but this time everything was silent. Nice. Um I really enjoyed that. And again, it's credit to the sound, the sound editing of this movie. And just every time you're on, you're through Ruben's perspective, you hear nothing or close to nothing. And it just like everything he loves, he can't hear. He can't hear music, which he plays in the morning. He can't hear his blender for this movie that he makes. He can't, you know, he can't hear his cell phone ring. Can't hear Lou from the other room calling his name. Like it was just, Again, it was just eye-opening how even just the little things, his, his routine is forever changed. And I thought that was really effective. Traumatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, the, whole, the whole time I was thinking about, man, what, in the, what would I do if this were to happen to me? You know? Man, um, I don't know. Again, just one of those things you take for granted. So I thought that was really effective. Yeah. And, and with all of that being said, I definitely agree. I wish I saw this in a theater because I, I had a good a quiet place experience the second time I saw it in theaters. Yeah. And you know, maybe it's cause they both have deaf characters or both have cochlear implants and stuff. Sound in these stories is so, so important. And you know, that's yeah. part of the movie experience of going to the theaters and having the best sound available and hearing it the, the way the everyone wants you to intend to, um, which is interesting coming from Amazon studios um, that they would still try to pay attention to that detail in their sound and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. but this definitely would have been, I probably would have cried in the theater. I wasn't able to cry at home. 
when the sound kind of turns off and you see his faces and stuff, I, because I had other noises going on, sure. my window was open, my washer was running or whatever. Yeah. Um, but man, damn, if I didn't just feel it, I just felt this whole movie. I was in, I yeah. was encapsulated. Yeah. And that's a credit to the performances and the, and the sound and the choices that were made from a filmmaker's perspective. It was really, it was really well done. I really enjoyed it. So um, who would you have a slice with? Man, I, I think I'd have a slice. I don't think he was named, but you know I love those obscure characters. Yes, you um, do. Ruben's roommate, who looked to be both deaf and blind, oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah, a recovering yeah, yeah. addict. Yeah. That man probably has a lot of wisdom to share. Very similar to Joe, who, you know, also goes through the same stuff and but you know, with that added layer of just that. I don't know the word to use because I don't want to use the word like handicap, right? It's not a handicap. It's something to live with. Just that different identity. Um, I think everyone has those weird fantasies, not fantasies, but just those in, in, what are they called? Intrusive thoughts. That's like, man, could I live blind or could I live without hearing or or would I be able to learn sign language and stuff? And um, there's those people who go through that alone or in a group and stuff. They definitely have so much to share. Yeah. That's my slice is with Ruben's unnamed blind roommate. You and those obscure characters, man. Um, I pay attention to the background. You do, you do, you do. And I, and I love you for it. That's Speaking of which, back to Mank, Bill Nye was in that. Really? Yeah, Bill Nye played Upton Sinclair when he's voicing uh, the megaphone and stuff. Wow, I missed that completely. Yo, it had like this super like, it wasn't a tight shot. It was pretty wide lensed or whatever, but I could see I was like, that's Bill Nye's nose. You got to go yes. back and watch that. Sorry, that was my intrusive thought for the moment, Brian. What's your best slice? You are totally fine. Um, no, not best. Yeah, best slice. Yeah, best slice. No, no. This is pizza, pizza dinner. Slice of pizza with lunch. Slice of pizza. Yeah, Michael. Michael. Dude, it's been a minute. All right. All um, right. I'm rusty. So you go for the more obscure characters. Mine's gonna go and be with uh, with with Joe. Of course. For at the forefront. It's him. It's he seems like a great guy who's been through a hell of a lot. He mentioned that he lost his hearing in in Vietnam when a bomb went off not too far from him. He remembers the song that was playing when he when he wasn't able to hear anymore, mm-hmm. and and uh, you know, he lost his family, he lost everything, but then he found another family in this community, and he leads it, and he believes in it, and he has rules, and he sticks with them, and it works. And got to respect a man like that, and I think I would just learn a lot from just 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 having a meal with him over a slice of pizza. So so yeah, yeah, man, that's so great, and. He's so observant too. I mean, I, I really, for a second, I was like, why is he mad that he's hammering nails into the, why is he mad that nothing needs to be fixed, right? A community, yeah. let's all work together. We all have jobs and stuff. But he knew what was going on with him. He like, yeah. either because he has been through it or he's been through so many people in that house, like mm-hmm. having that much care and attention to someone else. That's that's such a great trait to have. You always pick the heartwarming characters, Brian. I try. No. <laughs> um all right cool so with all that being said who would you uh what's rated out let's rate it what? out out of yeah, eight slices let's do it so what what do you rate this movie i'm gonna give it seven nice this wow. is this is pretty high i'm gonna this is probably my my favorite oscars contender so far nice nice all right so i i God, we're on the same page. I was going to say seven too. Nice. Um, I'm a little bothered by the third, not bothered. I'm just, you know, third act didn't go the way I wanted to. It didn't move as well as the first two, but like it was still really, really good. This is also my favorite Oscar contender right now. And I think it's really cool. It's on prime. Hopefully people can see it. And I think aside from the story itself, this a metal drummer. I think it's really easy to think of it just like a, your stereotypical white male. Mm. And I think for it to be Riz, a person of color in this lead role, would be a really good showcase for him. I think also is a, speaks to more about representation and yeah, and in the vehicle in, of this movie. And I really enjoyed it. You know, I'm just gonna say it. We're all thinking it. Riz was hot. He was a hot metal drummer all those tattoos and stuff oh yeah him and pete davidson probably have the same amount of tattoos and they'll both have the same amount of oscars i think pete his tattoos are real where i think these are none i think these are just makeup but but yeah oh man because i really like the little cockroach that was behind his ear the whole time i'm sorry i'm sorry yeah no riz is awesome man have you seen the night of hbo limited series is that with chris pine no it's with riz then no oh yeah oh man dude so Chris Pine was not, I am the night. 
or something. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Dude, the night of limited series HBO, it's that's Riz's coming out basically. Like he, I think he was nominated for an Emmy for for that series, and he was outstanding in that. Okay, Riz. Yeah, high highly recommend it. He, he yeah, it, it's about it's a it's a it's a story of the criminal justice system and and he's accused of a crime and before he's even on trial he is sent to Rikers and it's just it's just um it's his and it just fo- it follows his experiences through the justice system and and, and, at, and at Rikers and it's just riveting. Okay, I'll check it out. I just wrote it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. cool, cool, cool. Um, but anyways, yeah, he's really good. He's also in Rogue One. Shout out to Rogue One, arguably the best. Star oh Wars man, movie. yes, he is. Yeah, yeah have you yeah, been watching yeah, yeah. the Mandalorian? Yeah, it's basically amazing. Oh man, how do you feel I'm, about I'm, Ahsoka Tano? I thought she was. I mean, I have no knowledge of her character because um, I haven't seen the, the other TV series, but I enjoyed her in the Mandalorian. How about you? Oh, we're in Ahsoka Tano house. I'm actually my husband. This is his action figure from the Clone Wars movie. Wow. Lot just came. He was super pumped to have Ahsoka in the, in the show. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, Mandalorian tangent. So we got it's seven a- out of eight for um, Sound of Metal. Our yeah. previous movie was Mank. We've got fives and sixes yeah. from us, Brian and Michael, respectively. I think yeah. this was a this was a pretty good movie weekend. Thanks for lining this up, Brian. Of course. Thank, I'm, I'm glad we were able to jump back on this and we saw two really, you know, two really good movies that we're probably going to hear more of in the coming months, Mank especially. So check them out. Mank's on Netflix. Sound of Metals on Amazon Prime. I recommend them both. Yeah. They're, they're, they're solid movies. Check them both out. Um, but before you go and do that, we've got some last slices for you, I think. We've been gone for three weeks. Brian, what's been going on in your life? What's your last slice? My last slice is that we have a new dog in the house. Hey. And uh, this kind of goes full circle because Kimberly, when she got home from work, introduced uh, the dog visually to you via Zoom. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll keep that bit in the podcast now <laughs> because I'm talking about him now, her now. But yeah, uh, Kim, uh, her name is Indy. She's a mutt. She, um, she's currently 20 pounds, but she looks like a pit bulldog kind of thing mix uh kimberly's a veterinarian this dog came into kimberly's care on death's door that she was signed off to her to kimberly the the owners weren't able to take care of her anymore and we've been taking care of her and i think we're just going to keep her so we've named her indy after indiana jones and keep her away from snakes i know (laughs) gotta keep her away from my other dog man maggie uh this dog loves nothing more than being warm whether that be uh, cuddling next to humans or to other dogs or to pillows. And Maggie is not about that. And Maggie will snap at her. But uh, no, this dog's really adorable. She's, trying to, she's eight months old. She's gang- She came in to Kimberly at 13 pounds and she was skin and bones. And she's now at 20 pounds looking a lot better. Rock on. Um, but she's uh, she she wasn't potty trained, so we're trying to potty train her right now, and that's been that's been a that's been a go at it. So yeah, jeez, I know she's she's man. When we first got her, she wasn't able to jump. She wasn't able to jump on couches. She wasn't even literally able to get herself up from her legs from her from uh-huh. her belly. But now she's jumping on couches, able to jump on her king bed. She's full of energy, and she and she's great. So, um, yeah, she's awesome. That's 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 my last slice. Great, I can't wait to meet her. Yeah, she's a, she's a cutie. How about you? What's your last slice? Man, my last slice, 2020 coming to a finale. Um, Brian, I know you're a Spotify user. So my last oh, yeah. slice is about Spotify wrapped. I just yeah. want everyone to know that I'm in the top. It's either 1% or 0.1% of Wallow's yeah. listeners what on up? Spotify, which is yeah. really, really exciting. Um, super great. Also, my my top song is a different genre from the last three years. So I'm growing and changing. Look at you. What is it? Right now it's um uh indie pop rap. Last year Ooh. it was modern alternative rock or something like that. All right, nice. Yeah. Wallows is also my number one band this year. Hey, Michael, so we're twinning big deal. Look at us. We're big Wallows fans over here. Big, big and they are Wallows they are still my top two songs somehow. So are they? Are you bored yet? And Treacherous Doctor, man. I still jam out to them pretty much every day. Those are the ones to go, man. Flip and love those. Also, songs. shout wow. out to all of our Spotify listeners because I've had two people text me that we were in their top podcasts for the year. No way. Yeah. Kimberly, we were also on Kimberly's top podcast of the year, too. Hey, Kimberly. What and she's up? an alum, too. So she's on. She's probably part of that. She's part of yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that sensation that we got going on. That's cool. That's exciting. Look at us. Yeah. So this is our 26th episode of the year. 
Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll do a yearly wrap up later on, but yeah, I think in the next two weeks, honestly, right, the year's That's coming to an end soon. F. Then we got to go into twenty twenty one. I know. Who knows oh what that's going to bring? The end of movie theaters. That's microchips in our bloodstreams. It's for sure bringing the end of a certain president, Michael, and that is very exciting. If you're asking me, yes. We also get King Kong versus Godzilla next year. I think on HBO Max. Right in my own. <laughs> Although that's <laughs> the movie I'm going to go to the theaters for. I'm going to brave whatever happens to go see. But and Dune. I don't want to see that at home. I want to see that on a theater as well. IMAX. Because I saw Godzilla King of Monsters in IMAX, and that was baller. I know. I know. Well, maybe we'll talk about that next pod a little bit more. Yeah, we got so much time. All the time in the world. All the time. All right, folks. Thank you so much for listening to Our Slice on Film. Go ahead. Check us out on Twitter, Our Slice on Film. Brian runs the Instagram uh, page, Slice on Film, right? Our Slice, maybe. And then um, subscribe to us if you're on Spotify. Let's get in your next year's 2021 wrapped. tell all your friends and we'll we'll catch you next week sounds like a plan thanks michael y'all have a good one mr stone your hearing is deteriorating rapidly and the hearing that you have lost is not coming back I can't hear you. Do you understand me? I can't. I'm dead. I'm dead. It's time. I gotta do something. How'd you get the money? The world can be a damn cruel place. I'm trying to save my life. I wonder, have you had any moments of Stillness. For me, those moments, that place will never abandon.